This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Ohio 7th District Representative Bob Gibbs. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan at www.goodgrowthplan.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congressman Bob Gibbs next. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about the biggest challenge facing humanity, feeding a growing population. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about six commitments to make crops more efficient, rescue more farmland, help biodiversity flourish, reach and empower smallholders, help people stay safe, and to look after every worker throughout the entire supply chain network. One Planet, Six Commitments. Learn more at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. With a history in farming, Ohio's 7th District Representative Bob Gibbs understands how regulations can affect farming and agriculture. The Buckeye Republican fully supports President Trump's rollback of the waters of the U.S. rule. Gibbs continues to push for a legislative fix to cut EPA red tape surrounding a court decision requiring a national pollution discharge elimination system permit for pesticides that are already under federal regulation. Congressman Gibbs says it's another example of too much bureaucracy. For about 60 years, we've been operating under the FIFRA, and this court decision was very nearly focused, but it said if you're applying pesticides around inner near water bodies, you have to apply for an NPDES permit, you know, National Pollution Discharge Elimination System permit, which is really a permit to pollute. But basically, they were saying the sprayer is a point source, just like a, a, a sewer pipe. So that means they have to go and do a whole bunch of consulting and hiring people to apply for the MPS permit. And I've talked to entities out there, and they said it's sometimes it's thousands of dollars to, to get all the consulting work done. And this really affects our agricultural producers. It affects our, our mosquito control districts, applying, uh, applying pesticides for uh, mosquitoes, obviously. It's just redundancy, adds costs, and doesn't do anything to help protect our water or water quality in the United States. And I've even made the argument it could make us go backwards because, you know, everybody wants clean water and, and everybody does the best they can to do the right thing. But when you have so much red tape and bureaucracy piled on top of each other, at some point people throw their hands up in the air, say, you know, I can't do all this, and they're just going to do what they, they need to do just to get by and won't go the extra mile. So I think this uh, H.R. 953 bill of mine reducing regulatory burns act is a, is a prime example of regulations out of control that just makes you get additional permits that doesn't do anything to protect the environment or protect our water quality in the United States. So here in the 115th Congress, H.R. 953 has already picked up some traction. We passed out ag committee unanimously, well, by voice vote, so it's unanimous. Hopefully it'll be on the House floor and we can move through it. And, and this is... This, this this piece of legislation is widely supported, uh, you know, in the industry and, and agriculture. Uh, in hearings last Congress in my committee, we actually had a mosquito control to come in, and they said something like, our budget's like $40,000, and for us to get the MPDS permit, it was going to be like 50000 by the time we get all the consulting work done. And so pretty much shoots our budget to do their mosquito control programs. Congressman, you bring a unique perspective to the legislative effort and the fact that you are a farmer first. And as we talk about clean water and talk about the environment, clean water has taken uh, a lot of headlines. The Chesapeake Bay uh, in Iowa and even in your home state of, of Ohio, 
You spent time last year bringing all the interested parties around the table. What did you find among agriculture groups and others about clean water and and voluntarily working to solve issues? You know, you know, Jeff, that that's a great question, and I guess I can get real specific here. In Ohio, you probably heard we've had algae issues in in Lake Erie, Lake Erie's shallowest of the Great Lakes, and in the western part of Lake Erie, some places it's only fifteen, twenty feet deep. And so when we get the the hot, humid weather in August, uh, that really uh, uh, encourages the algae growth. And of course, you probably remember a couple of years ago, uh, one weekend they had actually Toledo had actually shut down their water treatment plant because algae was coming in and they weren't able to treat for it fast enough. So what's happened to address the, the algae issue, especially in the, the Maumee uh, watershed in northwestern Ohio, agriculture's come together. The Ohio Farm Bureau has put, put up a million dollars of seed money. Uh, I think the other commodities association, I know the Soybean Association, the Corn Growers has been very active too, and working with the Ohio State University, working with the EPA, uh, Soil and Water Conservation, all the groups you would normally think of, to try to uh, do what agriculture is part to do what they can do to stop the phosphorus and nitrogen load in the lake and from agriculture. You know, our, we're environmentalists. We want to do the right thing. We drink the water first. Uh, farmers, they're doing test plots uh, on agricultural fields out in, in that watershed. Farmers have done a, a voluntary program to reduce their nutrient loads. Uh, you know, I think working together we can get something done, but when the EPA comes out and tries to uh, one-size-fits-all and do it their way or we're going to find you and, and create an adversarial relationship, it's not healthy. And, and I think when we have working relationships between all the stakeholders, it's much better to, to deal with the situation. Do you think there's the political will to bring 953 to law? Yes, I think there is. I've worked on this since I've been in Congress, and the, and the first time we passed out of the House under suspension, so we had you know, like 294 votes, you know, super majority, and then it went over to the Senate, and uh, it would have passed uh, strongly in the Senate at that time, but there was one senator that held it up, and then the next Congress, when we did the Farm Bill, we passed the Farm Bill out of the House, it was included in the Farm Bill, and that same senator worked with uh, Chairwoman Stepanoff from Michigan, make that she got taken out. Uh, I don't understand all the Senate rules, but apparently one senator can stop some things uh, just by themselves. You know, we tried to pass it again last time with the uh, with the, the Zika virus issue, and uh, we came close, but we didn't quite get there. Um, Senate held it up again, so I think, you know, we've got a president that will sign it, and hopefully we'll get it through the Senate this time. The question with Waters of the U.S., if it is eliminated, is it time to start work on clearer definitions for waters of the U.S. and clarity on navigable waters? Mm-hmm. Well, first, let's just backtrack here a little bit, just review why we're, where we're at. You go all the way back to 1972 when the EPA was created, they passed the Clean Water Act, and that was meant to be a partnership between the states and the federal government where the states would implement and enforce the Clean Water Act under the guidance of the U.S. EPA or the feds. And I think it's, you know, it's worked pretty good. We've gone a long ways. Point source pollution, uh, we've eliminated a lot of point source pollution. Uh, non-point, uh, we've made a lot of huge progress on non-point. I don't even go back in the 60s and 70s and even knew what non-point source pollution was. And not to say we still don't have challenges. You know, I talked about Lake Erie, the algae problem, and, and you know, issues in the Chesapeake Bay and around the country. So there's still, there's still challenges out there. But when it comes to water quality, I think we've made good strides and we're working towards, uh, you know, improvement all the time. The problem with the rule that was proposed by the Obama administration in the waters of the United States it was a result of two Supreme Court decisions, the Swank and Rapanos decisions back in the mid-2000s. And the court, pardon the pun here, kind of muddied the water up a little bit because 
they didn't define navigable. And, of course, when the Clean Water Act was passed in 1972, they put the word in their navigable. And they said navigable waters will be uh, under a more jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act and the U.S. EPA. And that was to go after the polluters of the 1960s and go after them with severe fines and, and even jail time so that under the Clean Water Act. Yeah, but they didn't define navigable. Now, you know, navigable to most people, a boat can go down the river. That's, I would say, is navigable, a canoe. You know, where's it stop? But the Supreme Court decision said, well, they didn't define it either, and they left it open for uh, waters that maybe it could affect what most people would think navigable waters. And I think a very important point to make here is some people believe that without this rule, they believe that waters that aren't navigable aren't being regulated. Well, I want to, you know, assure the listeners here that that is not the case. All waters are being regulated, and they might be regulated by the states if they're just, you know, uh, little streams or, or road ditches or whatever. You know, I'm a former hog farmer. I couldn't go out and just dump my hog manure in the road ditch or whatever. That would be breaking the law. So this idea out here, this, this waters rule had to happen because waters weren't being regulated is a fallacy. That's, that's not the case. But what it does, it, it broadens the prospectus of the of the Clean Water Act and opens up very tough penalties that were actually meant by Congress at the time to go after the polluters. And so I think it's very important that the rule be stopped. Unfortunately, the, the, the federal court in Cincinnati has put a hold on it. You know, I want to look at ways to address the Supreme Court decisions in a, in a right, common-sense manner. And so I'm looking at holding some roundtables and, and doing some things with the stakeholders and get some input from the industry. And I guess my thought is uh, I think we need to address it because I think future administrations uh, could bring it back up because they still have the basis of what the U.S. Supreme Court did in the Rapanos and Swank decision. So that's my fear that could be brought back up. Uh, Jeff, it's interesting, too. We cannot do a Congressional Review Act on this rule because it was passed in 60 legislative days. What are your thoughts and outlook on a Trump administration EPA under the lead of Scott Pruitt? You know, I think um, it's going to bring back some common sense, and, and it's definitely going to bring back a, a working partnership relationship between the feds and the states. You know, I developed a close relationship with my state EPA director here in Ohio, Craig Butler, and, you know, we want to make sure we do the right thing. Nobody wants dirty air, dirty water. And I, I think... Uh, Scott Pruitt, I know he was in some of the lawsuits of the EPA, the bomb administration, because some of those things that the EPA was doing in the Army Corps Engineers, especially the waters rule and other things, are just, just over the top and didn't really have the authority to do that. And he realizes that. But I think, uh, I know some people, some of my constituents have said to me, you know, how can you let uh, a person be ahead of the EPA who wants to end the EPA? I don't believe he wants to end the EPA. I think he wants the EPA to work like it's intended to work. And people that intentionally are... Uh, doing bad things, polluting our environment, we're going to go after them. But people are trying to do the right thing and working to do the right thing, and let's work together and solve those problems. And I'll give you a real good example of that. You know, we had the uh, mine spill out there in Colorado, you know, and polluted that river in about three or four states. And then the, the Bureau of Land Management investigated it, and they came out with a scathing report that the EPA was incompetent. They caused the, the spill, and, and it was just total incompetence. And here's an example where the EPA, if they had hired competent people to do this work, they would have known what was behind the the dam part or the mine entrance that was dammed up and known that there was a whole bunch of that acid mine drainage behind it when it broke it loose. We've seen acid mine drainage areas. i got some here in my congressional district where the people want to do the right thing and clean them up, but as soon as they go in and try to do something, they're liable for everything. And the EPA can come in there and cause all kinds of problems for them. You know, let's work 
in partnership, people that want to do that, let the mining companies come in and remine these operations so it'll help pay for the cleanup. You can get some economic value. But if something does go wrong and it's not a perfect world we live in, let's not go after the, the people who are trying to do the right thing. On both sides of the Capitol, both agriculture committees are in the hearing process with regard of new legislation. For your state of Ohio uh, and for the sake of the country, are there particular areas that you're adamant that should be included or should be modified as we look to an 18 farm bill? Well, uh, the farm bill, uh, obviously it's always the, the number one controversial thing is the food stamp programs SNAP. Uh, we've had lots of hearings in the Ag Committee in the House. Uh, we had my auditor, the auditor of the state of Ohio, did an audit of the SNAP program in Ohio. Um, it's functioning pretty well, but we found some problems, some things where there was some fraud and, and some issues that we could address to, to make it work better and make sure that the people that need to help get the help and the people that are abusing the system uh, are addressed. And uh, then we had another issue here in Ohio regarding the SNAP program where we had people had thousands of dollars of balance on their on their SNAP card. So that money was just sitting there. So one of the simple things we can do is say, if you've got a balance you're not using, we don't keep refilling your account. And after, after such a period of time, that account is zeroed out. And let's bring the money back to the Treasury. And if you, you, know, if you actually do need uh, food assistance, you've got to go back in and reapply. But just common sense things there. On Title I, you know, that's the part where we have the ARC and the PLC program, uh, the safety net. I, I brought up in committee, uh, you know, the crop insurance program, which is a different title. Is there a way that we should be looking at maybe making the crop insurance program more, more helpful in the safety net? Because I think, you know, we have to sell uh, the farm program to the general public. And I think on the insurance side, non-agriculture people can understand insurance and they understand the buy-in and understand that farmers don't control the weather. You know, is there a way to improve the crop insurance program also to for a safety net for a revenue side that make it work better? And uh, I just mentioned that, too, because I do remember when we debated the farm bill last time when we had uh, issues about getting the pass. Uh, our good friends over in the Senate, uh, your agricultural friends, said, why don't we just uh, repeal Title I? And that was really an eye-opener to me. So uh, I'm not so sure Title I is sacred. Now, the big difference is this farm bill compared to the last farm bill. Last farm bill, you know, we had uh, profitability in agriculture. We had good commodity prices across the board. Uh, that's not the case now. We're seeing, uh, you know, uh, farmers struggling, the rural economy struggling, uh, crop and grain prices are down, milk prices are down. And I believe the cotton and the others are, are, are in trouble too. So, you know, if we got a little different scenario, we'll have to see how that all works out. But, uh, you know, I think we ought to at least look at a pilot program to see what we can do to improve crop insurance to make it work better and help provide for that safety net. The Trump administration has discussed a large investment in infrastructure. Well, the country is long on ideas and short on money, but, but how do you see the necessity of investment in our infrastructure? Well, I think, obviously, our infrastructure is, is, is very important, and uh, just like uh, funding our national defense is very important. And uh, we have some major issues. I think we made some progress on my Water Resource Development Act, especially the one in 2014, dealing with the, uh, the maritime transportation system, the inland waterway and the ports. We're, we're, we're getting our ports back in the shape and our, our river system back in shape. That doesn't say, you know, issues about the river, uh, highways and bridges and airports and all that. Uh, but I would say how we pay for a lot of things, our national defense and every other services that American people expect, is that we have to get this economy going uh, better. We've had a stagnant economy growing over, you know, barely 1%. You know, if we were growing at 4 or 
that would make a world of difference. And how we do that is first, what we're trying to do right now is real regulatory reform and then uh, real tax reform. That would include, and real regulatory reform also includes replacing uh, and repealing Obamacare and Dodd-Frank and then a tax reform where we lower the rates and go to a territorial system where we can bring that money from our American multinational companies back here to the United States to, to invest some capital here in the United States. So there's some ways we can get some of the money. Uh, we got probably close to $3 trillion offshore uh, in other countries, but they can't bring it back because they, they pay taxes again starting at the 35% tax rate. So our, our real regulatory reform and real tax reform by cutting the rates go to a territorial system would do a lot to provide resources or we need to pay for our national security and our infrastructure. Congressman Gibbs, we want to thank you very much for being our guest on this edition of Open Mic. Sir, it is Open Mic, and you now have an open forum. Well, thanks. I think the most important thing we can do as policymakers is we got to get this economy, this economy going again. We've had a stagnant economy, you know, around 1%, and uh, if we got back up to where we should be, 3 to 5 even 6%, it makes a world of difference. And how we do that is... Uh, we've got to bring confidence and certainty back to the private sector. First thing is we've got to have our spending in order. We've got to be down to the more historical levels of 19 to 20% of GDP, and then a real regulatory reform, and then also real tax reform and, and grow its economy. That's really what we need to do, and hopefully in the next few months we, we get that done, real regulatory reform, real tax reform. And then we can start in with some major infrastructure projects along with that. Our thanks to Ohio 7th District Representative Bob Gibbs, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.